Today on the show, the life-changing $1,500 offer. Alexis Rhiannon is here to tell us about it. Plus, which presidential candidate is better for the economy? We'll break it down in No Dumb Questions. And the best way to talk to your kids about debt. Why, maybe you should tell them debt isn't bad. We'll explain in our Seat at the Kids Table segment. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union. Welcome to Seven Figures, Smart Money Strategies for Women. Thank you for being here. You absolutely can free yourself of your money stress. Maybe not entirely all of the time, but for the most part, I want to help you get to that comfortable spot where you understand the options that are out there. You never feel like you have to depend on somebody else. And most importantly, I want to make sure that you have that peace of mind that everything is going to be just fine. All right, before we get to Alexis and her life-changing $1,500 offer, let's start the show with no dumb questions. Economist and professor emeritus at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Mark Shug, is here. How are you? I am doing just great. We lovingly call you our Grandpa Mark (laughs) because you're so generous with your time and your advice. So I'm thinking the goal will be every month to check in with you, and maybe you can help us clear up some of the confusion with some of these news stories that we hear about and give us the unbiased point of view. So let's start with the craziness of the presidential election. Now, I hear some people saying and alluding to the fact that if one party or one presidential candidate wins over the other, it's either better or worse for the economy and the market. Is there any substance behind that? Well, I think it's good for people to take a breath. Uh, You know, a president is not the economy. And so anybody, you know, we just had the failed effort to get a second stimulus passed. Well, you know, the president wanted that. A lot of people in Congress wanted that, and it didn't happen. So, you know, the president is not the commander in chief of the economy. They're the commander in chief of the military. Mm -hmm. And so the president has certainly is an important player, but uh, he or she just can't wave a magic wand to make things happen. So who the president is certainly important, but you know, there's a lot of restrictions. Uh, that's the way the Constitution built the country was that, you know, nobody can run off and just do things on their own. So I'd take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. But, you know, people are so passionate about their their opinion on what will happen depending on who wins. But looking at the big picture, the history of, let's say, the economy, the market. They rise over time. Uh, all of us that invest in the market are basically betting on that. And that's true under Democrat Party administrations and Republican Party administrations. So again, I think you sort of calm down. You remember the business cycle tends to outlast uh, most people in office. Uh, It's longer than any one presidential term. Uh, There's a lot of good companies out there. Uh, I'd continue to look for good companies and uh, buy and hold for the long run. Is the typical American invested in the market? I would think more and more Americans are because they're, you know, they're in a 401k. They may not consider themselves as investors, but they truly are investors. But then I hear and and see some statistics studies saying that, no, a small, small percentage of Americans are invested. Well, I hear those statistics too, but I take a much broader view of it. Um, 
you might not have your own individual portfolio, but if you're uh, if you have a pension plan, if you have a 401k, you have an IRA, uh, a 403b, you know, you're in the market one way or another. And so if you think about it in more broad terms, a lot of teachers, I work a lot with teachers, a lot of teachers don't think of themselves uh, involved in the market because they don't own their own individual portfolio. Uh, but they're all in teacher pension plans and those plans are invested uh, in the market. I think people would be surprised uh, yeah. at, at how much they really are engaged in the market uh, directly for many people that are paying a little more attention, but indirectly as well. Can you catch us up on that stimulus package? Did it really just get hung up because of the politics? It does appear that that's what happened. I mean, uh, President Trump clearly wanted uh, another stimulus package. Uh, Nancy Pelosi over with the Democratic Party clearly wanted it. Uh, but as I say, it's not easy. The the members of the Republican Party in the Senate were uh, less convinced, and they certainly weren't interested in the original price tag of, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was another $2 trillion. I mean, you have to pay for this, right? I mean, this isn't just money. Uh, you know, the stimulus goes out. It's over in a fairly short period of time. You know, the money is spent, but the debt remains. And we just have a record size uh, deficit now. And the deficit is paid for by issuing bonds uh, by the federal government. And those bonds have to be paid and they're gonna be paid off by our grandchildren. So there, there were people in the Republican party that were worried about that, that the price tag was too large. I think they could have passed something uh, if, if they could have found a little more common ground. But yeah, well, according to, I, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, I think I read it in two newspapers today. It's pretty well done. What do you think they should do? What would you get in there and fix? Well, the, the thing that is most important of all is to see the economy recover from this recession. Uh, you know, this was a government-induced recession, right? And I could show you some graphs, uh, Sandy, that just are mind-boggling mm. about how quickly the unemployment rate went up and how quickly it's starting to come down again. Uh, and so the more the economy can safely open, uh, I mean, we started back in January, the economy was in a very good place, and then it was just wrecked in March. So it's important to know how to safely reopen, underline safely. But the main thing that's going to return uh, us to good shape is getting the economy back open mm -hmm. and to do it as safely as possible. Yeah, this is a tough call for everybody in charge, isn't it? It is. All right. Um, how can we follow you and find you and, and get your book, too? <laughs> well, uh, thanks for asking. We have a book called Teachers Can Be Financially Fit. Economists advice for educators. It'd make a great gift. Teachers have been through a lot. And if you go to uh, Amazon and enter teachers can be financially fit or enter my name, Mark Shug, S-C-H-U-G, or send me an email if you like. I, I, I'm out there. If you Google my name, my website will come up. I'm going to be dusting off my website here shortly to get it uh, a little more up to speed. But my email is mschug at uwm.edu. And uh, any questions or somebody wants to pursue this a little bit more, uh, send me an email. I'd, I'd love, to, love to meet you and talk to you.
Awesome. And I'll uh, link everything to the show notes too. So it's easier that way. Oh, great. That's great. All right. Thanks, Grandpa Mark. Well, Sandy, thanks for having me. Her life-changing $1,500 offer, Alexis Rhiannon, joins us next. Freelance writer Alexis Rhiannon, how are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. How's quarantining with the parents? It's been good. It's been about four weeks for us to leave on Monday, so... It kind of went by a lot faster than I thought it would. Oh, your parents must mm-hmm. have loved it. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. Now, your boyfriend is with you too, right? He is, yes. He's That's very big. tolerant. I was yeah. just going to say, he passed like the biggest <laughs> test in your relationship ever. I know. I know. He's met them before, but this is, I mean, four weeks is a long time to spend with your girlfriend's parents, so I'm very proud of him. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So when's the, when's the proposal over here? <laughs> exactly. It's the Italian in me. I want everybody to get married and live a happy life. Okay, so let's talk about your article you wrote in Business Insider. Now, Mm -hmm. you often write articles, finance articles, and Business Insider. Mm -hmm. You have several articles in there, but you write for a lot of publications, right? I do, yeah. I I just started out in more of a, um, a celebrity vertical and then moved to wellness and stuff like that. And now finance is kind of my my beat. Your thing. And oh, you probably make your dad mm-hmm. so proud. Um, your article, in my early 20s, my dad offered me $1,500 with a catch. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, my dad has always been very on me to get uh, a Roth IRA going. And when I was in my early 20s, I, was, I wasn't quite on board with that yet. I was sort of still living paycheck to paycheck. And that felt like uh, a priority way down the list. And so he got tired of waiting for me to come to the conclusion by myself that I needed a Roth. And he said, okay, so your birthday's coming up. We'd like to make you a very generous gift, he and my stepmom. Um, and they gave me a choice between giving me $500, that was completely no strings attached, which was then and is now a big amount of money for me, uh-huh. or $1,500. But the catch was that I had to put it directly into my retirement account. And so to do that, I'd have to create a retirement account. And of course, I dilly-dallied a little bit back and forth. But there was only ever one real option for me, which was to start a retirement account yeah. and take advantage of the larger number. <laughs> I All know. Right, it never really it. was a decision. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that was a life-changing moment for you, you said. It was, yeah, it was, because I think just having the head start, because I think the the maximum at that point was five thousand that you could that you could contribute a year, and so I felt really challenged to to come up with the remainder myself, and I did it that year, and then I've done it every year since I've been lucky enough to be able to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it really just changed my mindset and got me working on that goal. So I, I saved all year at this point to make sure that I can put money into my Roth no matter what. And now how old are you? I'm 33 now. Okay. All right. So you're still young, freelance writing. That You have to mm-hmm. hustle to make to earn your, your income. It is a serious hustle every day. Yeah, it's definitely a, a 20-something game <laughs> that I got into when I was in my 20s that now I'm happily I'm a little more stabilized and yeah. I have set clients and stuff like that. But it is a, a definite hustle every month, especially with coronavirus. So Okay. And then that was the point where you're like, okay, now I 
see because at this point, if you started it in your 20s and now in your 30s, you've watched that money grow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've also watched it shrink, which has been <laughs> another true. another moment of having to like kind of just sit still and not do anything to it. Because I, I do have a lot of runway ahead of me still before I retire. So yeah. I have to get really disciplined about not checking my retirement account every second when the markets are crashing and I'm losing all my money. But <laughs> Is this so, something that yeah. you've, I mean, now that you're writing for Business Insider and you do write finance mm-hmm. articles, do you really pull mm-hmm. from this story and and try to teach people the same lessons that your dad taught you? Absolutely. Because I think it's, it's really interesting how little we're actually taught. Well, most of us, a lot of us are taught about saving money, spending money, how to engage with your own financial health. And I was very lucky to have my dad be my in into that world. But if you don't have somebody in your life who's going to talk to you like that, you kind of have to figure it out on your own and some people don't figure it out. So the way that I want to write is to be super accessible to those people as if it's Mm -hmm. kind of that first conversation of like, here is the most accessible version of where to start. Basically, that's the mindset that I try to bring to it because that was what was so helpful for me. I don't even think it's an age thing is you just kind of brush it off to the side. It's not the most mm-hmm. exciting conversation. It it pulls no. all these weird emotions sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really emotional, I think, because it felt like by the time I was ready to have the conversation, it felt like I was already behind. Like, yes, it's so hard to feel like you started saving early enough or that you that you're doing it right, I guess. And so I was very much in my head about it started to feel like dread. Like my dad would be like, can we talk about your you starting a rock? And I'd be like, oh, like my whole body would tense up. <laughs> you feel like you're you're letting people down. You're letting yourself down. And, uh, it's just it's so hard to get started. That really was the, the hardest part. Yeah, and I think you said it perfectly because I feel like even when you get um, advice from other people and all good intentions, they're trying to help you, mm-hmm. but yet you do feel like, oh God, I've I failed so far. I don't have enough mm-hmm. as you have, and I'm not doing this mm-hmm. right. Um, and there really is, yeah. and I say it all the time, and I'm a firm believer in it. Really doesn't matter how much money you earn; Mm-mm. it's what you do with the money that you have. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so true. What would be your smart money strategy that gives you peace of mind, sense of security? It's a good question. I think for me, my brain is very inclined to to sort of expand to fit what I'm given the same way that like I think a work project for me can expand to fit the time. So I have to give myself a set deadline. Okay. So to apply that to my money saving strategy, if I see an increase in my income, I make sure to increase my savings as well. Mm. Because it would be so easy for me to just start paying more on rent and, you know, maybe go shopping a little more, get a little fancier with my grocery purchases. But instead, I try to make sure that I pay myself first, which is just to put that money into savings because I can always get it later if I need it. But to keep a habit of, I put $630 into savings every month just as a baseline because that's the amount of money I started saving when I moved in with my boyfriend. And I wanted to make sure that I just didn't change my lifestyle to fit this new lower rent. Mm. I wanted to keep it the exact same because I knew I had that money every month that I didn't need because I'd already been spending it. So I did that. And then I try to increase that amount every year 
to make sure that my savings are increasing as my income increases. Yeah, and that takes discipline. It does, yes. <laughs> it's very hard not to get up, get out that money when it's coming in. Now, your boyfriend, is he on the same page about money? Did he, he is, have the yeah. same type of upbringing? He had a different upbringing that I don't think his family talked about money a ton. Mm -hmm. um, so he, I mean, he's very responsible with money and he had a great job when I met him um, that he was making a lot of money. But he also had some, some debt left over from school. And that was one of the earliest conversations that we had was me encouraging him to, you know, focus on that debt, like while he was making a ton of money to put it towards that. And he was able to pay off his, his student loans, um, I think about a year and a half ago. So that was very exciting. Wow. Um, I've been very lucky um, to always be able to have very open conversations with him about money. And Good I had some you. of those early on. And yeah, it's really important to me. Yeah, that's awesome that you helped him too. You know, you didn't use it uh, to attack him. Oh, you still have debt. I don't. But right. you, you used it to help him and that's awesome that you had those conversations i'm with you too i had um my husband wasn't now here this is the one drawback of working from home is your family can hear mm -hmm. you from upstairs yeah. okay so my husband's yeah. gonna be listening to me tell you this story but he can't deny it he was a, a financial hot mess he had so much debt but it was because he didn't have a person in his life to teach him those valuable lessons. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really good what you guys did. Start those conversations, open up about that kind of stuff and, and help each other. Yeah, I think I, I have heard so much in the media about how um, devastating it can be to relationships yeah. to leave those money conversations for later. And I, I'm just very pragmatic about that stuff. So I try to lead with maybe my, my less compelling stuff to be like, are you into this? Is this okay? How mm -hmm. about this? And <laughs> yeah. like money is absolutely one of those ones that I came out with early and was like, here's like kind of what I make a year and here's kind of like what I'm spending and just making sure that we're on the same page, that, that neither one of us is spending recklessly in a way that would make the other person uncomfortable, I think. Yeah. Now, have you made any money mistakes? Um, you know, that maybe we can learn from? I have, yeah. I think my one of my biggest mistakes was I um, I was very lucky to have my parents. My parents are, are split up, and they were able to contribute toward my college. And I got a lot of scholarships but did not have to pay any extra, which was mm. huge for me. Yeah. So I was able to come out of college with, I think, about $10,000 in savings. And... I think that that safety net made me feel a little bit too safe because I ended up going through my savings oh. in the first year and a half of being out of college because I didn't have the experience of really having to budget. Like I hadn't really set a budget while I was at school. Oh my and gosh. So, how scared were you to yeah. tell dad that you went through all that money so soon? Yeah, it was <laughs> definitely, yeah, it was, it was a tough conversation, honestly. Um, cause it started out as being just like chipping away at it. Cause yeah. I, I can absolutely understand how people slide into debt. Cause I was like, well, I have 10,000 here. And then, you know, a year and a half, two years later I had nothing. Mm -hmm. So I had to completely build that back up. And, um, yeah, it felt like a, it felt like a real rookie move. I think cause I was so proud of myself for having that savings. 
And then I had to really kind of reckon with my feelings about myself and my own value to, to have no savings again. And that was a weird conversation to have with myself almost. So I had to build myself back up a little bit emotionally and financially. Do you remember what your dad said to you when you, uh, when you had that conversation with him? I don't remember specifically what he said. I think, I mean, they've always been super supportive. He and my stepmom both have been very supportive of, of me making my own money choices. And they have um, sort of been in the background saying like, we're here if you need us, but not forcing their yeah. input on me. And so I think that they were probably supportive of like, hey, that's not maybe what we would have done, but it is your money. So. Oh, uh, your yeah. dad sounds so awesome. Yeah. They're both really great. Yeah. And then when it's your turn to be a mama, I'm sure you're going to pass on those same lessons to your kids. Yeah, I think I'm not totally positive that I want to be a parent yet because I think that there's been so many moments when maybe I wouldn't have made the right choice. Like, I don't know if I would be strong enough to say to my kids, like, oh, no worries, like $10,000 is fine. <laughs> I know, I can't even. It, it still makes my stomach clench, so yeah. I don't know. I really don't know if I'd be able to do that. Oh, funny. Well, see, there's the Italian to me coming out again already. Got you married and having kids. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. He married me off and two kids. Yeah. I know. I'm so sorry. Okay. And no, oh, by the way, okay. you're moving in next door to your dad. I don't know if you know that too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Buy a house on the same street. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah. gosh. Alexis, thank you so much for taking time with us. How can we read oh more gosh. of your articles and follow you and uh, support you? Um. Well, since I'm posting all over the internet. A good place to follow me is on Twitter. Um, I'm at Mind the Clam, and I uh, like the little seafood uh-huh. <laughs> Mind the Clam. I write on Business Insider. I do a little writing for Allure, um, Apartment Therapy. So if you're a fan of those sites, you can look me up on those sites. But I try to publish things that I do on Twitter to keep everything in the same place. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the best of luck to you. And thank you so much again. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. All right. Grab a chair. We're about to take a seat at the kids table. The best way to talk to your kids about debt and why you should tell them that debt isn't bad. We'll explain next. at the kids table with our favorite money expert CEO of money savvy generation Susan Beecham joins this part of the show hi Susan hey Sandy all right so today you're gonna help us talk about debt with our kids I am before we get to your advice let's check in with the kids what do kids think debt is debt is when you don't have enough money to pay for things and you just have a bunch of loans you can't pay them off and you're in debt is it good or bad to have debt not good at all because you can't pay for things you might get kicked out of your house can't really buy groceries things like that what is debt debt is something i don't really know what it is but i think it's something that you're sad from what's debt i have no idea what's a debt yeah what's debt when you have debt i don't know what debt is not now, but you will. <laughs> I know. I hope not. I hope not. All right. So how do we teach our kids? Should we? I, I guess I guess should we? The answer is yes, right? Because you always say it. There's never a wrong time to start the conversation. Right. And I think it's so interesting that I just said, but you will. And you said, I hope not. You see, that's the problem. Debt gets a bad rap. Um, there's good and bad debt. 
we talked about this last week. We talked about good debt, which is a mortgage, investing in something that can increase in value and education. You know, so there, there's good and bad debt, but in today's world, it's, it's so true. Everybody hears the word debt and, you know, it's chilling. But so let's let's start with what debt is and let's use an example, especially if we're trying to talk to our kids about it. Let's try to use an example that they can relate to. Okay. And, you know, the one they can relate to a credit card. It's probably the most well-known kind of debt that's within your child's world. They see you use it. They're familiar with it. They get it to a certain extent. They see you empowered to get whatever you want or need. And so for them, they'd like to learn more about it. So let's use a common example for when you use your credit card to start the conversation about debt. So let's say you're driving and you need gas. And so you pull over and you pay for the gas with your credit card. And so you say to your child, so, you know, the credit card company that I just used, my credit card, to pay for the gas is going to pay the gas station the amount that this gas just costs. So I just spent $42 and the gas station's going to get the money, that $42 from the credit card company. Show them the card. Now, at some point in the month, the credit card company, you know, they're going to send me a bill and they're going to ask me to send them the amount of money, money that $42 that they paid the gas station for gas. That bill, you're doing this while your tank is filling, by the way, that bill will have a due date. And you say to your child, and I have to pay that bill by that date or else they're going to start charging me interest which means I'll spend more money than what I just spent on the gas. I will pay more for my gas than I just have if I don't pay for it when the credit card company sends me the bill and tells me the money is due. So a lot of credit card companies, especially with older kids, this is a great idea. Take your credit card bill and show them the small print. And as painful as it might be, read it side by side. And when you get, because this is going to teach them to do the same thing, this is what you want them to do. So when you get to the portion where it says you have between 21 or 25 days, whatever your credit company allows, called a grace period to pay back that debt so you don't get charged interest, highlight it on your bill. Explain Okay, so this is how long I can take to pay this without spending more money. Say to your children, this credit card is really a convenience for me, so I don't always have to have hundreds of dollars in my wallet in cash. Because that also would be hard, but it also isn't smart. Because it might not be safe, because I could lose it. So this credit card company will pay that gas station and then I'll pay the credit card company and that keeps us all happy. You know, kids, especially young kids, they learn in the best when you teach them in a concrete way. Abstract concepts are kind of hard. So aside from having this conversation when you're filling the tank and then going home and pulling out the credit card bill and finding the grace period and highlighting it, 
take a look at their wish list and say, is there anything on your wish list that you would like a loan for? There may be something at the top where they need about $5 more before they get to the finish line. Okay, I will lend you, just like the credit card company did, I will lend you the $5. The interest, if you don't pay me by this date, is going to be this. So $5 will become $6 if you don't pay me on the, the date that it's due. And then see what happens. Issue them a bill. Put a due date on it. Everything in writing, because remember I said kids do not deal well with abstract and they also have better memories than we do. So put this in writing, post the, you know, post the bill, and if they blow the due date, start the interest running and have conversations with them about how this is now starting to cost them more money. It's such a simple thing to do, right? Role play this, this scenario so it, it becomes familiar. Most parents get uncomfortable, though, with this, Sandy, because they don't want to charge their kids interest. But it's not about what they're charging their kids. It's about what credit card companies will charge their kids in the future, yeah. which they will have, by the way, no problem charging. So get ahead of it. Do it yourself. Let them make mistakes under your roof that are far less costly. Oh, I love it. Great advice. All right, Susan, how can we follow you and, and read up on all the stuff that you're doing? So you can follow me at my blog, which is at susanbeecham.com. And you can also find some of our Money Savvy Generations award-winning products and even some free resources at moneysavvy.com. Perfect. Have a great weekend. You too. All right, there we go. Another show. So much good stuff as always. Let me know if there's a topic you want us to answer in No Dumb Questions, if there's a guest you want me to try to get on the show, or if you need help talking to the kids about money. This podcast is for you. Before we leave, today's money victory shout out goes to Vera Plotkin, who said she switched jobs during the pandemic. Congratulations and cheers to you, Vera, and each and every single one of you who is proud to say that you're on your way to being a financially confident woman. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Seven Figures podcast. Click subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union.